This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast, and I'm your host, Kate Lamphere. Joining me this week are two mad cats who don't know when breakfast is, Tia Vasiliu. Hello. And Kate Scotchless. Hey. We've got a very special episode for you this week. It's us three ladies talking about comic books, and I've got two legally mandated questions for you this week. How are you and how have comic books been? Let's start with you, Kate. I have been okay. We had our uh, time change here in Michigan, which, you know, throws everybody off for a while. So I just got up from a uh, accidental four-hour nap, uh, feeling uh, confused and refreshed. So I have been reading Fun Home by Allison Bechdel. Um, Content warning for suicide for those who don't want to touch on that. But otherwise, I am loving this book. I'm a little past like 50% of the way through it. And so Fun Home, for those of you who aren't aware which I'm assuming most are because this has been around and famous for a very long time. But it is a graphic memoir about her relationship with her late father, who is presumed to have, it's not like completely clear, um, but the presumption based on circumstances is that he um, committed suicide. And was he was a um, gay man who was hiding that and married to her mother and dealing with that and a kind of about the story of his life and her life and her coming out and how that all tied into his stuff. And um, it is very, very good and very, very sad all at the same time. So it was a finalist yeah. for the 2006 National Book Critics Circle Award. And then it also won the GLAAD Media Award for Outstanding Comic Book, the Stonewall Book Award for Nonfiction, the Publishing Triangle Judy Grand Nonfiction Award, and the Lambla Literary Award in the lesbian memoir and biography category. Um, it also was nominated for two I in two Eisner categories, best reality based work and best graphic album. And she was nominated for best writer and artist. And she actually won for the best reality based work. And then it was picked for like best of list all over the place. And naturally because it's about being gay, it's been challenged and banned about 10 million times which is frustrating, but it's so beautifully done, like both the art and the writing. And I love, I think the part that I love the most right now is all the literary illusions and tropes and the way she weaves in all the stuff about the different books and themes that he's reading and she's reading and how basically he's living a fiction, right? It's, it's a really powerful book and I wanted to finish it by this episode, but at the same time, I didn't want to like rush it. It's not like a speed read book right. at all. But I'm liking it enough that I'm definitely planning on picking up the next one. Um, her mother, the one about her mother. Uh, what's that one? Are You My Mother is the follow up memoir. I somehow completely missed that she had another book in the same vein, I guess, about her family. So I'll have to pick that up too. I I agree. This was like a, a hard read, but mm -hmm. also definitely worth worth the read, worth the time. Like it definitely deserves all of these awards that yeah. it has. Um, Tia, what have you been reading? Well, I was very lucky to get to read an advanced copy of Parasocial by Alex DeCampi and Erica Henderson. This technically does not come out until October, um, but, you know, pre-orders are so important. I'm going to go ahead and talk about it and hype it up because it was really great by some awesome women creators. And yeah, you guys all should get on this. The story is about 
one of those actors who does the con circuit with like the autographs and the photo ops, you know, not not like a super A-lister, but like, you know, a genre actor from a popular sci-fi show with a very passionate fan base. And then um, there it, there is a fan who has this like um, pretty unhealthy parasocial relationship with him, hence the name. And uh, it, yeah, things things happen, and it's uh, it's not, uh, I would say the <laughs> the way he probably was planning to spend his day. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. The main theme of this book that I picked up on is the idea of like, where do we find meaning in our lives? Um, And the answer I think that that this book is presenting is that we find it where we put our energy. And this could have serious consequences. It definitely has serious consequences for both Luke and Lily in the book. Um, You know, they're not necessarily investing their energy in probably the best places where they're going to get something back in terms of meaning in their lives. So make sure, I think the moral of this book, the theme of this book, the message here is make sure you invest your energy in things that are real, like yourself. Well, that seems a little extreme. (laughs) Well, (laughs) um, you know, if you're, if all you're focused on is attention or fandom and all of that, like, those are fleeting. We don't really have any power in those things. We don't really have any control over those things. And so it's a very serious act to give all of your power to those spaces that just kind of drain and what they give back isn't real. Completely agree. Yeah. (laughs) This is like a graphic novel length book, which I love. I I don't like, I I feel like I'm tired of, of episodes. I'm tired of of 20 page floppies. So I love that this is like a meaty length story. That sounds so dirty. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like the pacing of it is really good. It literally just plays in your head like a film. It flows so effortlessly. And of course, that's down to Alex DeCampi's amazing writing. And also Erica Henderson is so good at aesthetic storytelling. And in fact, there's um, essays from each of them in the back of the book. You know, I love an essay. I love a back matter. And so Erica Henderson really breaks down some of her aesthetic storytelling techniques. Like she calls out the way she uses line and color and like how she depicts the figures depending on the emotional beat in the story. I picked up on some of that as I was reading others of other things that she mentions, like definitely affected my reading, like it helped pull me through the story and set the tone. It was really nice to see it deliberately called out and go back later and be like, Oh yeah, that was really smart. And then Alex DeCampi absolutely goes for the throat on toxic fandom culture from both sides of the convention table. It And then also she has a really awesome Spotify playlist to go w- with the book and the songs are called out in the moments, like in moments in the, in the book. So pre-order Parasocial. It was great. How about you, Kate? What are you reading? I read something with a completely different tone than either of these books. <laughs> I read uh, a middle grade book called Wing Bear by Marjorie Liu with art by Tenny Izakanian. And I'm so sorry if I mispronounced that. Um, this 
book is uh, like a middle grade fantasy book where the protagonist has been raised by like bird gods, but she's a human and she enters the world um, outside of this realm. And she's seemingly the last of her kind and has to figure out why the bird souls aren't returning to this god realm after dying, where they're then like reincarnated afterward. Um, there are so many elements in this story, and yet they all work together. Like it's it's a middle grade book. I was like I was expecting a nice story, but then there's like there's all of this work put into the world building. It all works together. Um, most of the characters are from fantasy races, like dragons, um, goblins, there's griffins. Most of these more human characters have animal companions, and half of them speak. <laughs> um, the The protagonist can understand birds in the human realm, or it's not just the human realm, not the god realm, basically. Um, and then there's this history of war that has left the landscape, like covered in ruins. So I can't say that this is like a post-apocalyptic story because there's still plenty of life around, but it kind of has that feeling. Um, I do want to warn everybody that this book kind of ends on a cliffhanger. Like it's a nice kind of like season one ending, I guess. Um, like it's, it's a good spot to stop, but I don't see the release date for the next book. So I'm like, okay, there's all these things that just happened and, and I need to know what happens next. And I don't know when I'm going to know. I actually looked, uh, looked up the artist some more and she's an animator and which totally makes sense. Like I said, like it feels like a season one ending. Like there's so much about this book that feels like it would become like an animated show very easily. Um, the artwork is kind of in that same vein. I really like the artwork. The colors are beautiful. The art itself is adorable and it's easy to follow, like in regards to the storytelling from one panel to the next. And then if you keep an eye, especially on the background, the facial expressions of some of these characters can be really hilarious. Um, so just like, I really like this artist and I wish that she had more books. So I might just have to watch some of the shows that she's done instead. Um, and then the for the writing, I mean, like, I'm familiar with Marjorie Liu from Monstrous and some other books. So I already knew that this writer was going to be really good. But like in this middle grade book, you see that in a totally different like genre than than I've read from her before. And the the dialogue is great. Like the tone and the syntax differ from one character to the, to the next to the point where I was hearing their voices in my head, which I rarely do. Um, like this new older character was introduced and I could hear them talking like, slow and deep um, and wise and I just the dialogue was written so well um, and I just wanted like this made me think of you Kate like you've been saying for years that middle grade comics are like where it's at <laughs> and this was an example of that does the lettering um, like also do much for you you're talking about how you could hear the voice and, and you put it up to the dialogue did you notice anything about the lettering um, in the book that contributed to that there really wasn't much difference in the lettering from one character to another. I think the only lettering that was any different was either like when someone was yelling or when there was like, there was just a little bit of narration, like internal narration. And that was in a different mm -hmm. style of dialogue box. But yeah, there's, there weren't different fonts that I noticed or anything like that. Let's move on to the top of our pile. Uh, as a reminder, this can be anything that's coming out soon or that has already come out, anything that you're looking forward to reading. Um, Kate, let's start with you. Top of my pile this week is Frizzy by Clarabelle A. Ortega uh, with art by Rose Bous mm. Bousmra, maybe. 
Um, so this one is one of those books I've had on hold from the library for quite a while because I have to like elbow the little kids out of the way to get to it. It's a middle grade <laughs> graphic novel um, about Marlene, a young um, Dominican girl who the premise of the story is she stops straightening her hair to embrace her natural curls. But in more detail, she's like really into books and she's really close with her aunt and her best friend. And um, her mom is very like, the only thing you need to focus on is school and growing up. And that means straightening your hair every weekend so that you can be presentable and have good hair. And she starts to challenge this idea and she hates being at the salon and doesn't understand why her curls aren't considered like pretty or presentable. And so it's about her kind of journey and hiccups along the way and embarrassments and stuff like that um, with the support of her friend and aunt as she starts to learn to like appreciate and proudly wear her curly hair, which sounds incredibly sweet and wholesome. And the cover art looks great. But the main selling point for me for this one was that a good friend is a school librarian who has to read like 10 million books a year to do her job <laughs> properly. Um, she's also on the like the board for the Michigan Library Association for like a bunch of these awards and stuff. So a lot of the books, like the groups of kind of like the contenders, she has to read all of those to then do the voting and stuff. And this one was like the first book of this year that she was like, you have to read this. And I have not been let down yet so far when she tells me something is fantastic because when people read 10 million things, they often find the creme de la creme to pass your way. So I'm very yeah. excited for this. Librarians give you like the best recommendations. Seriously, yeah. I, I follow so many librarians on the internet. <laughs> I feel like I've heard of this one uh, before now, too. I feel like it's gotten a lot of press already. Yeah. Um, Tia, what are you looking forward to reading? Well, uh, since one of our topics for this episode was to highlight our favorite women creators, I'm going to stay on the Alex DeCampi uh, book list and uh, shout out the Bad Karma hardcover. That image is publishing in November 7th. Again, pre-orders are so important for comics. So, uh, you know, I know that it's months away, but get on it. It is um, written by Alex DeCampi, art by Ryan Howe, and um, also uh, Dee Kniff. And all of the chapters are currently available on Panel Syndicate, which is like a pay what you want uh, digital platform. So if you want to check it out digitally, like next week or whatever, you know, tomorrow, right now, um, as you finish <laughs> listening to this episode, yeah, you're, <laughs> uh, you know, it's there for you to check it out. Uh, but the hardcover looks so good. Like the hardcover cover art is gorgeous. I really want it on my shelf. So um, yeah, like shouting out the hardcover for everyone to to pre-order. So this is an action thriller story about Sully and Ethan, who are army vets, and they're on a road trip. Sounds fun, right? Uh, they're trying to prove the innocence of a man who is being blamed for a mercenary job that they did, uh, but someone is out to get them. So hijinks. Uh, in, and you know, the, some of the themes here, like, you know, they're dealing with disability. Um, but Alex DeCampi really skips the typical kind of like war story tropes. It's not grim dark. There's no dead wives, like all of that kind of stuff. And I'll talk more about that when we get into the topic of the show, because I think it's really interesting, yeah. um, to, you know, in terms of like women creators, <laughs> 
which I think most women creators I know actually hate that phrase, but like, and the, and the types of things that they write about. So yeah, we'll talk more about that later. Um, Kate, tell us about your picks. Yeah. Uh, really quick before I dig into that, I wanted to shout out the picks for the people that joined us on our discard discord. <laughs> um, oh, <wow. laughs> um, Hannah is looking forward to reading sweet tooth and, uh, Kevin is looking forward to reading Gotham City Year One and The Variants. Um, and then really quick, I also wanted to shout out to First Second, who I noticed is re- releasing multiple female-led books this month. And I just wanted to say that's great planning. I work in publishing. I know how hard it is to like hit a release date, even if you've got an entire month to do it sometimes. Um, so good job to First Second. And I just wanted to mention the, the titles In Limbo by Deb J.J. Lee. And this is a YA book about the creator's experience growing up in New Jersey as a Korean American. And then there's also the book B, um, that's B-E-A, B Wolf by Zach Wienersmith and Boulay. And that's a middle, middle grade book where the, it's like a play on the Beowulf story. But the, the warrior, the like Beowulf role is played by this little girl who has to defend her her neighborhood treehouse. <laughs> it looks so cute. Um, okay, so the, but the book that I want, really wanted to dig into today is called Dear Body, and this is by Lee uh, Bordier, and there are 12 artists. They all have these beautiful-looking European names, so I put them all in the doc, in the doc um, for you there, the, the show notes. This is from Square... Fair Square Comics. You could also check their website for this. This is an anthology of 12 stories about women and non-binary people and their relationships to themselves and their bodies. And I found a preview of each of these stories on the Fair Square Comics website. Um, and with the 12 different artists, the styles um, from one story to the next varies, but I feel like they all have this use of white space um, in their art that is like very intentionally planned. And it really reminded me of the travel logs by Lucy Nisley. If you're familiar with her work, um, it just like, it's very like, it's part of the art, like it's part of the, the planning of how to like narrate these stories. Um, and I don't know how else to describe it without having a visual medium to show you an example, but, um, I, I'm looking forward to this book. I'm really glad that there, that we have more, books like this like these like self-reflective stories from people in regards to their bodies and I honestly wish that I had books more books like this that were easier to find when I was like especially growing up um, because man living in a body is rough sometimes (laughs) truth (laughs) I often say being corporeal is my biggest problem in life it'd be so much easier to just be like an ether of some kind or (laughs) (laughs) a vaguely malicious mist (laughs) oh boy all right um well i feel like we've all had these really strong picks from again female creators and that's uh conveniently what our topic is uh so stay tuned after the break for um our discussion about female creators and our and our favorite creators Before we get into the second half of the show, I want to tell you guys about a brand new Kickstarter that I'm excited about. Comic book writer and friend of the podcast, Gabe Cheng, is launching his latest Kickstarter campaign on Wednesday, March 16. For the first time ever, all four issues of Gabe's comic, For Molly, will be published as a collected trade paperback. For Molly is an action-packed modern fantasy adventure set among the abandoned things in the New Jersey forest. 
where talking dogs and off-the-grid humans have precariously coexisted until now. The story centers on an antisocial talking dog named Molly, who helps a recently divorced outsider named Greg save his sister from a hidden evil. It explores themes of guilt, abandonment, and loyalty as Greg and Molly's unlikely friendship is tested every step of their journey. For Molly features art by Benjamin Sawyer, and the 150-page trade paperback also contains the short story spin-off comic Into the Wilderness with art by Elisa Menegel. The 4 Molly Kickstarter launches on Wednesday, March 16th, so make sure to go check that out. Link is in the show notes, and you can always say hi to Gabe and Twitter and Instagram at GabeChangComics, which will also be linked in the show notes. Now back to the show. This episode is a very special episode for Women's History Month. This week, we're going to each pick a women creator in comics that we want to bring attention to and talk about our favorite book of hers and maybe some other ideas um, related to women in comics. But before we dig into that topic, I want to remind all of our listeners that next week on Sunday, March 19th, there is a live on Twitch episode with Mike, Danny, and Brian. They'll be talking about comics, obviously, but you'll be able to see their faces um, at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, Tia, do you want to get started off with our topic today? Absolutely. Ladies reading ladies. <laughs> <laughs> so I, re- I want to make sure that we carve out specifically a moment to shout out trans women creators specifically and happy Women's History Month to trans women because uh, you're very important. We love you. We're here for you. We see you. And uh, so let's talk about um, Mags Visaggio, as an, for example. She writes absolutely incredible stories. And I love that there are characters like Caroline in her um, Eternity Girl book from DC with Sunny Liu, uh, who specifically speak to like the nuance of self-identity. So Mags, of course, has written specifically trans characters. And I think what's so important about stories and and like the idea of representation matters is not just that people of marginalized identity see themselves in media because that's really important and they do need to see themselves in media but then there's also this other aspect of like people who maybe consider themselves for lack of a better way of describing it some sort of default identity or an identity that is not um like challenged in 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 our society so they don't necessarily have to like think about it too much. I think it's important for those people to see marginalized identities represented in media because it just helps to highlight the nuance of human experience. And another component of this I think is seeing creators of those identities succeeding, thriving, etc. So um, so yeah, what what we were t- conceiving of this topic, one of the things that I thought about was just like why is it important for us to specifically highlight women creators? And what are some of the specific, I guess, challenges or reasons why, quote unquote, women's books would need to be called out? Or are, you know, like, what is the value of calling those out? Um, they, for starters, they just get, on average, less marketing dollars. So we got to do the legwork as fans to make up the difference, I think. Yeah, for sure. And like, I think that that goes back to the the idea that they're kind of like not the default. And so there needs to be some kind of like special carve out for them, which on the one hand, yeah, like we do need that. But then it also just sort of sucks that it, that we do. Right. Yeah. 
feel like I I love the movement um, in general that we're seeing a lot more diversity in content, like both with the creators that are being published and the 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 characters in those books. Like the top of our show was all female creators, and half of them were not white, um, and it's delightful and it is disappointing that it's taken us this long as like a society in the U.S. at least to get here. But it's so refreshing to go to the library or to the uh, my lo- local comic store, even just to like a regular bookshop and actually see people um, that look like our population <laughs> represented um, on the shelf. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know, I feel like it makes the world, like the experience of society, the experience of people in the world just bigger. Like it's making, it's made our, our options um, more plentiful. And I feel like if every, I mean, like, there, there's definitely a value to having stories that we can just lose ourselves in and not have to think about real things in the world. But man, like, I feel like I've grown as a person reading other people's stories that are like self-reflective and reflective on society um, and reflective in the way that they like perceive themselves, like with with my my pick this week dear body like that's going to make me think and it's going to make me think not only about other people but also about myself um and i feel like i've i've grown as a person just from reading comics um from reading the comics that are being put out today um and i feel like it will it'll, it'll help everyone I keep thinking of an article that uh, a scholar named Linda Nochlin wrote in the 70s called Why Have There Been No Great Women Artists? And in the article, basically, she says that, you know, um, there there's a movement and I and I don't think that we're veering into this territory necessarily in this topic, but I want us to be cognizant of it. There's kind of this movement where you in order to kind of feel like you're leveling the playing field, you kind of go back and pull women up into the canon in order to say, no, look, here's some women. Um, and they are just as great as all of these other great men. Um, and when you do that, you kind of erase the specific challenges that women have had in becoming great artists, creators. And so part of our duty when we discuss them is to discuss kind of the the like systemic challenges and obstacles that they have so that we're not just saying um oh no these women are great and they're part of the canon but also like here's their specific struggles that they've had in order to achieve parity with their male counterparts yeah that looks like a good article i have to dig into that yeah it's it's all over the place online if you google it it does sound familiar but it's also you know an idea that I've, i've seen before so I don't know that I've seen this specific article, but I'll have to read it. Um, and then there's like the Gorilla Girls too, right? They did a campaign in New York that that was like, do women have to get naked to get into the Metropolitan Museum of Art? Because, you know, how many how many uh, paintings or sculptures are of women, but not by women? Yeah. Wow. And this is actually why I really, I, I've already talked about Alex DeCampi's books on this topic or on this episode. So I'll just keep going with Alex DeCampi as an example, because one of the things I really love about Alex's books and something that I think makes her really successful as a writer is that she doesn't necessarily write quote unquote women's books. I think she could write Bitch Planet, but I don't think she would do it in the way that Kelly Sue DeConnick did. Like she writes amazing woman characters and talks about women's stories. Like 
There's Bad Girls that she did, did with Victor Santos. There's Reversal that she did with Skylar Patridge and uh, Kelly Fitzpatrick, which is on Webtoon and then coming out in print from Dark Horse. But I think it's interesting when um, I read an article on women write about comics um, where Alex was talking about reversal and she talks about the phenomenon of women like getting really into male characters, like shipping them, writing fan fiction about them and just sort of like putting themselves into that perspective because typically men are the ones who have agency in stories. And um, I feel like Alex writes women characters that have their own agency, but she also writes a lot of male characters or like typically male genres, like war stories. And then she sort of rings out all of the stereotypical masculine tropes and themes to get to what, like kind of, I guess, Kate, what you were saying, more universal human stories. Yeah. I feel like I haven't read as much by Alex DeCampi as I should <laughs> You have a lot of good titles to look up. Yeah, there, she's. She, I think she's a great writer. Yeah, um, and I also sorry, just shut me up at any time. No, but like ahead. one thing I want to, I think maybe we should establish too when we're talking about this is there's a distinction between things that are gendered, masculine or feminine, and a person's gender. So like anyone of any gender is capable of feeling and experiencing masculine or feminine coded things. It's not you the individual that makes it gender coded it's like the broader social context so like i really like alex's writing for that nuance that i think it's important to keep in mind when you talk about women writers or women's books yeah yeah i think about this a lot <laughs> yeah i think about gender like all of the time and i don't know i feel like i'm a third i'm kind of like a third party on the outside of it like I'm not a trans woman fighting for her rights or anything like that um, I'm not a woman creator in comics at least like but I it affects so much of our lives to like the bodies that we're born into versus the people that we feel that we are and maybe they're the same thing and maybe they're not and it just affects so much and I'm so glad that we have such a wide variety of experiences to read um, in that way in comics now finally yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess uh, I'll move on a little bit and talk about um, my pick for uh, my favorite creator. And then we can wrap back around and uh, get Kate's pick and uh, yeah, reconnect about our, our topic at the end, if you don't mind. <laughs> um, this is okay. So my favorite creator, the first person that came to mind was Kaylin Smith. Um, I I feel like I must have finally uh, originally seen her at like a C2E2 uh, convention way back in like 2018. Um, and she, she, I think that she first came to mind because she's local. Um, like I, I really feel strongly that we need to support the people that are around us. Like as, as well as supporting like other women in comics, but also supporting like our neighbors, um, especially when those two things cross over. And Kaylin uh, grew up, or at least she lives in a place that is not very far at all from where I grew up in. The last I knew, she actually ships like her Kickstarters and her products out of my childhood post office. Um, so I just feel like um, in terms of at least uh, geographically, this is a creator that I'm close to. And I, and I try to back all of her work. Um, so you can find her at kaylinsmith.net. That's K-L-Y-N-N smith.net. Um, and she's all over the internet, Twitter, Instagram. Um, she's had some books on Kickstarter. Um, she's she's 
on um, Webtoons. I'll get to that in a bit. Um, <laughs> and I've, I've noticed this commonality uh, in her stories where she's got these two character types that the books are all led by like a sassy, curious woman um, with not a, not naturally colored hair <laughs> um, and like a brooding mare character that she finds and, and befriends with one or the other uh, reasons, different reasons. And uh, at least the male character has like this mysterious backstory, uh, if not also the female character. So um, just a commonality that I've seen throughout her work. And uh, the, the running series that I've talked about on the show before, I think, Two Graves, that reminds me of Caitlin's series Plume, which is like it's a road trip through the American West with um, a woman and a man with supernatural powers. <laughs> um, and all of Plume is available online um, for free. And I've read this beautiful deluxe hardcover version that she put out um, a long time ago. And I think I've given that to my my brother at this point. But that was gorgeous if you can find it. Um, and then she also has, um, she's been running Kickstarters to, to publish her, uh, her series for goodness sake. And I haven't seen that online elsewhere yet, but she did just wrap up like this, this big, big, beautiful hardcover omnibus. But if you find it in soft cover, there are three volumes in that form. Um, and that's also gorgeous. I love, like, I love her her cover art i mean i love all of her art it's one of the reasons i've read all of her books um and then i actually just found this this morning and then i read all of it this is another this is a, a webtoon series called the house of lothar and there are chat there are 21 chapters on webtoons so far this is about um this is this is a woman that gets a job as a maid at a hospital with the, has a very tight NDA policy. And it turns out that's because the residents are all cryptids. Um, <laughs> That'll do yeah. it. Uh, and and it's like, that's not the only secret. Like uh, over these 21 chapters, another secret gets kind of unraveled and it's only just, just beginning, I hope. I hope there'll be a lot more. And I just wanted to shout her out where you can find her on the internet other than kaylinsmith.net. She is at kaylintweets on Twitter and then she is Handmade Crown on Instagram. And she seems pretty active on there. She's also got a Patreon, so you can find her pretty easily online. Kate, do you have a creator that you want to highlight? Yeah. So when I saw that I was going to be on this episode, I was very torn between Kate Beaton and Allie Broche. And ultimately decided to go with Allie Broche because I just was on the show talking at length about how wonderful Kate Beaton is uh, in terms of her recent memoir, Ducks, which everyone should go read. It's incredible. But Allie Broche is really near and dear to my heart, too. Um, you probably know her from her webcomic blog that started in 2009, Hyperbole and a Half, which is part written, part intentionally crude drawings that are like... It's, it's deceptively good art because they're crude, but they're consistent. Like it's a consistent style and the they're so sparse and yet so evocative and so funny. Um, it reminds me a lot of Sarah Anderson's style in that way where it seems on the surface simple and yet it is incredibly funny. And to do, to convey that level of emotion and humor with that few lines, it takes incredible talent. Um, so that that web blog got published into a hardcover um, graphic novel, Hyperbole and a Half, Unfortunate Situations, Flawed Coping Mechanisms, Mayhem, and Other Things That Happened in October 2013, which had 
a lot of previously uh, released online stories, but then some new material. Uh, I remember being a little disappointed at the time that there wasn't more new material in it than there was because I was like fully up to date with the blog. But at the same time, I will happily give my money to this uh, creator. Yeah, I I see her stuff occasionally, like one panel at a time on the internet, but I don't think I've ever sat down with this book. I, I need to do that. Oh, it's so good. And your library should have it because this these both her books have been like New York Times bestsellers. So they're pretty easy to find at like wherever you're getting your stuff. That publication was uh, delayed because she had to undergo major surgery for stage four endometriosis. And yeah, like for those who don't know, that's like a a massive, awful thing to have to go through. And so she went from that surgery to then doing like a book tour for this and sold a huge number of copies, was on the New York Times bestseller list for 12 weeks. Um, she was on an NPR paperback nonfiction bestseller list for 31 weeks, and she won the Goodreads Choice Award in the humor category for this book. So like incredible achievement when going through absolute hell with her, yeah. with her health. And she also talks a lot in, um, in that volume about her struggles with pretty severe depression and ADHD. But then she experienced like a really severe bout of depression and kind of fell off, fell off the internet, disappeared from public life, like wasn't at cons, wasn't doing interviews, wasn't posting on her blog um, or anywhere, and has kind of followed that pattern ever since of when she gets into um, really bad places, kind of disappearing for a while. And one of the things that made me pick her is she has, when she's come back from some of those, she has come back with some of the most succinct and evocative best descriptions of what it's like to be in a severe depressive episode that you will ever read. It is so, it is both reassuring as someone who's been through it of like, oh, wow, this is the same for all of us, huh? You're truly not alone, even though the depression, you know, gremlins definitely tell you this is just you. But at the same time, it's like so, so useful to be able to hand to someone as like a really good illustration of what this what this illness is like and that some of those have become like really really widely circulated um praised by mental health professionals and shared like as part of um kind of educational materials her most recent book solution and other problems um has like content warnings for uh suicide and cancer content in there uh her little sister um, is bipolar and committed suicide. And she does talk about wow. that. So yeah, um, it came out in 2020 and it is like, it will make you laugh until you cry and it'll make you cry until you cry harder in like a oh. cry crying way. Like it's so funny and so sad. I have been reading this book for like two months because it it is so intense that I de- like can't do that much at one time. But it is so, so good. Highly recommend. Again, it was like another big New York Times bestseller, but it it completely jumps back and forth between like zany, hilarious moments and deeply sad or traumatizing moments with like the key overarching themes of showing compassion to yourself in all of these different times in your life, uh, which is a message that uh, some of us might need to hear right now. Uh, speaking, speaking about me personally, like that's definitely something I struggle with. Um, well sick and like not being as productive as usual with work and school 
I I love it so much. I love her. She's just a really good good person, good creator, needs to be celebrated more than she is, you know. Yeah. I will get a box of tissues and check this out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A whole box. A whole box. You want the puffs plus with the lotion because you're yeah. gonna use a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> An overarching theme with all of the women that we've been talking about today seems to be resilience. And I think that that's yeah, definitely sure. like uh, a feature of feminine existence in a male dominated world, mm-hmm. right? Like um, there's a lot inherent in being a woman that is really hard. That's like kind of uh, re- requires an, a degree of resilience and being a woman in a male-dominated space like comics is certainly a, a condition that calls for a lot of resilience. And another thing that I'm noticing in all of these women, and Alex DeCampi, in uh, Ali Brosh, and in Kaylin Smith, you talked about all of her Kickstarters. It's like you have to find ways to work that are that is kind of smart and maybe off the beaten path. Mm-hmm. And these women are constantly working. They are booked and busy, and they are making their art. But um, I've, I keep thinking about conversations I've had with Alex more than once. She has given me the advice of like, go around. If there's an obstacle, go around. If the door is locked, break a window. And I think people who think of themselves, um, to go back to what I was saying earlier about like default identities, I know it's a terrible way to put it. I'm sorry. I'll think of a better way. But like, if you have a default identity, you're you are probably going to approach obstacles with a with a little bit of entitlement. Like you know, if you think of yourself as white, if you think of yourself as a man, as straight, as able bodied, like those are default identities. And it's not to say that your life isn't hard in other ways, but it's not hard in those ways. And so, I think that when you uh, people with those identities i think sometimes get tripped up by obstacles because they're invested in the the path and so they're invested in the system that's putting obstacles in their path when like you have to be willing to kind of give up your default identity to to find ways to go around and i think women do that a l- kind of more instinctively maybe um because women are not the default in society. So we kind of have that built in a little bit. I don't know where to go from there. These are big thoughts. I can yeah. mean, Tia's met a celebrity. Can... Tell us about the celebrity you met, Tia. <laughs> Tia met Simple Dog. From... Oh, yeah, I did. Simple Dog uh, used to hang out in the Amazon Kindle offices when back in the day. I don't know who And also, is. I will say that the only times I've ever been so violently hungover that I've thrown up was after hanging out with Alex DeCampi. <laughs> Simple Dog is a character in Allie Broche's books. It's, it was her dog, and it features in her. Oh. Because these are memoir comics, right? So it features, it's like the world's dumbest dog, and it's very funny. Uh, oh, my gosh. That's adorable. I love, I well, I haven't been at, at the office for my job in a long time, but yeah, working in publishing or, or adjacent to publishing, you do meet like people that you would never expect to meet that like other, that are kind of famous, like... <laughs> like a dog <laughs> it is a a perk i guess it's weird what who who and what are considered celebrities now um i think about like how the the internet mourned pot roast the yeah. cat and noodle and noodle the pug 
Yeah. I hope that they're um, enjoying their much deserved happy rainbow bridge time. Yeah. Man, we're getting depressing. <laughs> Who wants a hot take? <laughs> um. Yeah. I. I. With the, when putting together my thoughts for this episode, I think that my my controversial hot take is that uh, yeah, I sort of already hint like gestured toward this, but people who are not the default seem to be more capable of working with nuance in identity, which translates to like storytelling and creation and all of that. So, like to bring it back to women creators. I my hot take is that I think women are more capable of understanding masculinity and men characters or like identity than men are capable of understanding femininity or women. And it's because women are expected to just relate to men and empathize with them and mm-hmm. understand them as the default, right? They're the f- whole realized people with agency and main character energy in the world. And men are not expected to do that for women. So I think that men can do it if they try, if they want to, but but they are not raised with the expectation that they have to the way that women are for men. W- women have no choice in the matter right. because patriarchy. This has been uh, a couple of years, uh, a couple of decades back, really. But I, I remember talking to the women in my family about basically they're, you know, the caretakers for the men in our family and how they they know or they were guessing maybe certain things about how like he's having a bad day or he wants you to do this and i'm like how do you know that he's not mm-hmm. using he's not using his words you know he's not expressing himself at all he's just silent and they're like well you know you watch them for long enough and and you just you know and it's that observation i think like the the requirement to be observant um in order to um i don't know fulfill the role that they were expected to fill that they they could see kind of through that um that lack of communication to understand the men in their lives and yeah that there's a great daniel tiger song about that use your words use your words (laughs) (laughs) i was thinking too about the new paris paloma song oh my Uh, gosh yes i am so hyped for that to come out i am Yeah, this whole thing, if you drop a clip on TikTok and then the song's not out yet for me to listen to when it gets stuck in my head is cruel. I know. uh, But effective. (laughs) I know. I just hope that I like the whole song because I've been burned before by liking the clip. Yeah. Like, not to name any names, Olivia Rodrigo, but you know. (laughs) Yeah. I have added a lot of songs to my like songs on Spotify because of their, a little bit of them being popular on TikTok or someplace else. And then... Yeah, I agree. Sometimes it's not it's not all uh, just that bit. <laughs> Listen, women creators do everything men creators can do, but backwards and in heels. Yeah. <laughs> that really says it all. That sums it up. There you go. So, does anybody have any final thoughts or can we wrap this up? I think that's that. Awesome. Well, thank you both for being amazing and have bringing these women creators um, to talk about today and I think this was a really good discussion and I was really excited for it for like the last three weeks <laughs> um, as a reminder we've got an IRCB live episode on Twitch uh, Sunday March 19th with Mike uh Brian and Danny at 8 p.m. EST talking comics and all sorts of other things. You can find IRCB on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Discord, and Goodreads. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash IRCB podcast. 
Um, Infinity Shred is the best. They do all of our, the music for the show. And Xander, he believes the children are our future. Thank you, Xander, <laughs> for editing. Um, thank all of you for listening. Thank you, Tia and Kate, for being on the show. Thank you, Mike, for uh, producing the episode. And until next time, comics are good and so are you. Thank you.